Welcome back to Damn Good Brands Origin Stories. Jeremy Parker is the co-founder and CEO of Swag.com, the e-commerce platform for purchasing promotional materials that people actually want to keep. When you think of the promotional products industry, you might think of cheaply made items that you pick up at conferences only to eventually throw away. Or God forbid you've ever had to order promotional products yourself and you're clearly aware of the nightmare of dealing with shipping inquiries, quality issues, and all manner of inconvenience synonymous with that industry. Well, Swag.com's mission is to take all of the pain out of ordering customized promotional material with a focus on high-quality, frictionless ordering experiences and seamless distribution. Swag.com launched in 2016 and has since become the fastest-growing company in the promotional product space. Inc. Magazine recently included the company on its list of fastest-growing companies in the country. Swag.com's thousands of customers include corporate giants like Facebook, Google, Amazon, Netflix, Spotify, and TikTok. In this conversation, Jeremy discusses the founding of Swag.com, what he learned from pivotal mentors like David Goggins and Jesse Itzler, and how he was able to observe and utilize Uber's inventory-free model to great success. All this and so much more on today's very special episode of Damn Good Brands Origin Stories. Now, without further ado, here is Jeremy Parker, CEO and co-founder of Swag.com. Jeremy Parker, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Good, good. So you were a, um, before you got into the startup scene, you were a film and TV major. Did they, or did you pursue any of that after college, or did you go right into startups? Well, I actually, when I went to, I went to Boston University, and I yep. was a film major. But I never really wanted to be a film major. I was one, probably the only kid ever to go to film school who never really wanted to be a film production person. Hmm. Um, I always actually wanted to be a marketing man. And in high school, I was obsessed with commercials, and that was kind of like my passion. Like I would watch hmm. different commercials and brands, and understanding why, you know, which product is selling better than the other. They're selling very, very similar things, but why one brand is better than the other. And when I went to BU and I was looking at the syllabus of marketing and film, they were pretty much exactly the same thing, except mm. for film would teach me how to make movies. And this was at the early onset of YouTube. And I always figured that probably going to be a good skill set to have to be able to tell and tell a story through video. So yeah. I went the film route, really never really wanted to be a filmmaker. But during college, I, uh, I made a feature length documentary with my brother, uh, that ultimately ended up winning the Vail Film Festival. So in wow. 2006, I was in Vail, Colorado. I'm on the top of the mountain. Thousands of people. Half the room are these celebrities everyone's heard of. Half the room were these uh, more struggling artists. And I did like an in- internal gut check, truthfully. It was one of these kind of like moments I could always pinpoint. And I asked myself two questions. Number one, did I love what I was doing? And number two, was I good enough? Mm-hmm. And frankly, I, I thought no to both of those things. Like I didn't think I was that great at filmmaking, even though I was at the somewhat top of, of this documentary film and I was winning this award, I didn't feel like I, I was necessarily the best at it. And I okay. truly didn't love it. So after college, I, uh, I said, you know, I have a great major in film production, but maybe let's try something else and learn what I'm good at and learn what I actually do enjoy and do love. What was the documentary? It's called 1%. So I don't want to ruin the movie, but Okay. It was, I'm not going to ruin it, but basically it's about the wealthiest 1% of Americans. Um, and there's a documentary and this is right around the time with like Paris Hilton had all the shows of okay, you know, right. all, everything is about being rich and rich, rich. We want to kind of really truly examine what it means to be wealthy, but there's a twist. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it, but it was, okay. it was a little different. 
Okay, great. For for people who want to see it, is it streaming on any of the platforms or just get it on VOD? Yeah, get it on VOD. You can definitely find it online. Okay, great. So for people who are unfamiliar with swag.com, how do you describe the company in terms of the problem that you guys are solving? Yeah, so we started swag.com in 2016 and early January. So we just finished our fifth year. The idea for swag.com is to be the best place for companies to buy and distribute quality promotional swag that you'll actually want to keep. Mm -hmm. So from the very beginning, we realized that there was a lot of pain points. Number one, a lot of people thought of swag as something that you throw away, which not only costs your company money, but tarnishes your brand. Mm -hmm. And to us, from the very beginning, we always thought of swag as such an amazing marketing tool if done right. You know, if you watch TV commercials, people are trained at this point to fast through, fast forward the commercials. Or if you're looking through a magazine, you're, you're trained to flip through the ads to get to the content. Or I'm sure you have it. And most people have, you know, like those blockers online to block all the ads in your websites. Oh, yeah. But when somebody gives you something like a super high quality piece of swag, you say, thank you. It's kind of like the only marketing medium where you actually thank you. But if it's throwaway and horrible quality, it, will just, it, does, it does the opposite of your intention. So our idea first was, thousands upon thousands of mugs in the marketplace. Let's curate it down to the best of what's out there. Really make sure that it's quality. That's the first thing. The second thing is the buying experience for swag is, is really fragmented. Oh, yeah. It heavily relies on presentation decks, phone calls, back and forth emails. We figure what if there's just a really simple way where you can find what you're looking for based on price point, production time, color, whatever, upload your logo. Our system will detect how many colors are in your logo and the nearest Pantone match. So we can make sure it's Coca-Cola red and not Staples red, for example, really being able to show the customer exactly what they're going to get. And then in a, in a matter of seconds, check out. So that was kind of the initial idea for the business. And since then, it's expanded to a lot of other initiatives and problems that we're trying to solve. Wow. And so five years in, could you yep. give us the kind of uh, origin story about how the company came about from idea to initial funding to becoming a full-fledged business? Yeah, sure. So I had this idea for swag for a while. I used to run after college. So the first job after college, after that big film festival win, I ended up starting a company under this larger promotional company called MV Sport. Mm -hmm. And MV Sport is a really big player, specifically in the collegiate licensing world. And I learned the ins and the outs of how to produce products and manufacture and production and all that kind of stuff. And I also saw firsthand the problems with the promotional product industry. Now, at the time, and this was 2007, 2008, the buyer was a much older buyer and they didn't really necessarily care that things weren't automated and streamlined. But you fast forward 12 years, all the buyers of promotional products are 23 year olds, so 25 year olds. They want to you know, do things themselves. They don't want to talk to people on the phone. So I knew that there was a pain point and there was a problem and I, and I had a vision of how to solve it. So the first thing was, what do people nowadays call promotional products? And everyone calls it swag. And if you think about the industry of promotional products, there's no go-to brand that you think that's the place where you get promotional products. So right. I wanted to have a really brand name that people could remember that once they hear it, they'll never forget it. And when they're talking amongst themselves, like the office managers talking to the marketing person, the HR person, and they're saying, we're going to buy swag. I wanted the actual conversation offline to trigger the, the fact of going online to a, to a destination. So really, you know, turn all offline conversations to an online experience. So foundswag.com, the owner of the domain name was asking a lot of money for it, way more money than we had. But our belief was that he was trying to market towards the wrong buyer. Mm. Now, I don't think he necessarily knew that the promotional product industry started to call promotional product swag. He was going after the more urban definition of the word, um, like having swagger or, you know, being cool and mm -hmm. not necessarily the promotional we realized that 
we, we really realized we had a great opportunity here. And I'm sure if you went to all the big players of the industry, he would have got a great price. But we ultimately ended up agreeing for $200,000, which sounds crazy. It sounds like nuts to buy that much and spend that much on a domain name. Well, he wanted a million first, right? Over a million. Yeah, he wanted over a million dollars. And what we Damn. did is we didn't have $200,000 either. <laughs> so we worked out a deal that we would give, we would have basically have the exclusive license for the name Smart. so that we could use it, give a little bit of equity to the owner of the domain. And at a certain period of time, we'd be able to buy the domain from him and own it completely um, within the first two years. So it gave us a lot of flexibility that yes, we can launch the business right away. We can prove out our thesis. And once we make enough sales, once we're able to generate enough revenue to either pay for it through the revenue or raise money, we can then acquire the name and, and make sure it's completely owned by us. And that's exactly what happened. Super cool. So you guys have the idea. Have the idea, have the name, and now we have to get customers. And obviously yep. we didn't want to be a business that just builds a, a product and hope people want it. Because frankly, 12 years ago, I was in the industry, but I, the industry might have shifted a little bit. I mean, we know that the industry shifted in terms of who the buyer was, but how do they want to buy swag? So our initial first year, 2016, was all just about learning the industry, the ins and the outs, who the buyer is. Should we go after the office manager first? Should we go after the marketing team first? Right? They're very different kind of use cases. Should we go after the HR manager or the sales team? Like All these different divisions within companies buy swag for very different reasons. But who should be our initial point of contact? So that was one thing we had to learn. Number two is, what do they hate about the current buying experience and what can we streamline and make better? So we just had tons of conversations. Literally, Josh and I, my Josh, my co-founder, we would go to different offices, knock on doors, and just have conversations. And sometimes they didn't open up the door. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they gave us great information. Sometimes they didn't even know what they were looking for. So you would actually show up in offices about, without yeah, we were traveling appointments. Salesmen, without appointments. I mean, our I first like couple of customers. Does... Were, Sorry? Yes. Our first couple of customers were like Facebook and WeWork and literally just sh showing up, pretty much just showing up and walking down the hallways of the office and just meeting people, really just trying to figure out who the buyer is and speaking to them and trying to make a sale. And frankly, it didn't matter to us if we made money, it wasn't about it. It was about Yeah. I feel like that's huge though, because I feel like nobody does door to door anymore. People think, mm -hmm. oh, well, I called them. They didn't mm -hmm. call me back. So my job is done. But it sounds like you guys actually oh, yeah. was, were pounding the pavement, going to yep. offices unannounced without, you know, appointments or anything. I, I feel like that's how it's done. You know, particularly I think, you, I think, think for us huge. specifically, it was necessity. We, we didn't know who to speak to. Just sending an email, yeah. who's going to give time? But if you're in their face and you ask questions and we're, we're, we're nice guys, you know, we're not trying to waste people's time. We're trying to help people out. And we were offering amazing deals, like 30% off your first order. It didn't really like, for us, it didn't even matter about the money. It was about learning. Mm -hmm. It was about understanding what, what product we should build. It was, yeah. you know, it was the best, best use case of our, you know, use of our time. The expensive, cool. it was a big, exp it was expensive, you know, traveling and going and it right. feels like a waste, but it's not because you're going to learn so much more. And ultimately and you got Facebook. Yeah, for sure. We got Facebook that way. We got WeWork. Actually the second, our second customer is WeWork. And when we showed up at WeWork, they said, who else do you work with? And we said Facebook, and I'm, I'm assuming they probably thought we had thousands of other customers because who is Facebook is their, their only, their one and only customer. And, and, uh, and then we go, we work. And then we replay, you know, our initial idea was speak to as many people as we can get as many initial orders, just so we can learn what products they want, who the buyer is, what the experience is, but also get those blue chip companies because most people are taught when they're starting a business to work their way up, but that takes mm -hmm. a long time. So our feeling was let's get the top companies so that people come to our website and see swag.com and they say, Oh, Facebook and Google and WeWork uses them. 
they'll have instant confidence in us to want to use this as well. So that's, yeah. that's how it initially started. And then we built out our e-commerce site and we launched the first version of our site in 2017. So from there, it's been building and building and building. And just to put into perspective, our first year, we did about 350,000, a little over 350,000 in sales. Mm-hmm. And that was 100% me and Josh traveling salesmen knocking on doors. 2017, we launched the first version of the site and we did about 1.1 million in sales. But still, the site needed a lot of work. It was just the first version. 2018, our site did over 3 million. 2019, sites getting better, did nearly 7 million. And then last year, we did over 15.5 million. So really, wow. every single year growing over 100%. And our belief is it really all stemmed from those initial conversations and really truly understanding what the right product is. Wow. That's amazing. Did you guys work with venture capital or angel investors? No, not really. Mostly friends and family, personal money. We have one over the last four years, we have had a micro VC come in, but that's not really. We raised less than $4 million all in. Um, Mm -hmm. And our, our business is really exciting where we get paid up front from our customers and then we pay our suppliers. So we don't have any inventory liability. We have great cash flow, So we have great working capital. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. So the way that you guys operate is there's you you work with partners instead of having the inventory yourself. Hundred percent. Yeah. So we oh, we did. Right. So it's kind of like the Uber model in a way. Yeah, in many ways it is. Yeah. So we we don't host in inventory whatsoever. We put the products on our site that we all personally vet. So everything on our site yeah. is vetted and tested by us, and we're very focused on which partnerships we're going to be using. So mm-hmm. let's say there's thousands of drinkware suppliers. We work with one or two. You know, we're very focused on quality control, having a deep relationship with these suppliers. Once an order gets placed on our site, we capture payment. Automatically, the order gets sent to a supplier of ours. They print it and they ship it either directly to the customer or they send it to our 3PL where we warehouse their products and then give the tools to their customers to say, hey, Facebook, now you can send a thousand t-shirts to a thousand different addresses. You want to create a swag box of branded notebooks and pens and mugs and a custom note card and crinkle paper, all pre-packaged. You could do that now hold our inventory. You have three new employees start on Monday. You could send those three employees to the remote addresses. You have a thousand customers you want to reward. Now you could send to a thousand different addresses at once. So really trying to make it super easy from customers to buy swag. And with the click of a button, they now could distribute swag to all these different addresses. There's a quote that you made where you talked about how people get into this mindset where they start a business and they have to make it perfect. Yeah. And I feel like that is such a shot in the foot for a lot of would-be entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I, people talk about analysis paralysis, but I do think mm-hmm. there's a concept of perfection analysis mm-hmm. or perfection paralysis yep. where people feel everything has to be perfect, everything has to be ironed out, whereas I feel that is counter to the necessity when it comes to startups of the notion of iteration that Mm -hmm. the first version of whatever you put out probably is not going to work and you have to iterate it to get it to where it's actually going to be a product market fit. Mm -hmm. Whereas this notion of you feel like you have to have everything figured out ahead of time is paralyzing. Mm -hmm. So how did that mindset help you guys when it came to getting the company off of the ground? Yes, I would say I learned that that exact lesson the hard way. And that's why it's really ingrained <laughs> in my being. I, right before Swag, I had a business, uh, Vouch. It was a social networking app. And mm-hmm. it was basically comp- uh, customers can vouch for their favorite things, basically democratizing Oprah's favorite things for everybody. And cool. the idea made sense. And we had hundreds of thousands of users ultimately. But before we launched, we took about a year and a half to build this, this product. And we we 
every day thinking about different features and refining it. And we were obsessed and I'm a product person. So I was obsessed with every little detail and how the customers could use this or that or this or that. And when we launched the product, we realized that 90% of what I was, you know, keeping myself up at night, customers cannot care less about. And the 10%, yeah. I didn't even think that the customers were like, those were the features that really the customers gravitated towards. And it taught me a really powerful lesson where as entrepreneurs, we don't necessarily know what the customers want. And I think the most mm -hmm. important thing is to get out of the way many, many times, build something, launch something as quick as possible, learn from the customers, and then double down on what's working. And all the stuff yeah. that's, that's not working, even if you think that you're right, you're most likely not right. And the customers will tell you what, what you want to build. So for swag.com, our entire model has shifted. It's we launched the business and we started making sales before we even had the website. We had a landing page. It was like coming soon. We started making sales. I started learning from the customers, started building the right product based on customer feedback. Every feature that we launch, it's because we had enough customers basically telling us this is what we need. And once we have, we have running tallies and running lists of seven customers told us this, we better build this. This seems like a big problem that everyone's having. So we build it. So when we build features now, sometimes it's futuristic features. It's like a moonshot, something that we really think that customers will never expect, but they will change the game. But 90% of things we build are really told to us by our customers. And we know for a fact, it's going to be something that's going to help them out. Well, wow. so speaking of distribution um, and new features and things like yeah. that, could you tell us about your new swag distribution platform? Yeah. So in 2017, we saw a shift in the work from home culture. So talking to all the customers, which is what we do and basically gives us the roadmap of what we should build. We realized that a lot of our customers are working remotely. A lot of our customers are global companies and they have different remote addresses. So we mm -hmm. wanted to give an experience for them to easily be able to buy swag and instead of having it in their office, in their like their swag closet in their office, now they could have it in a virtual online swag closet and then be able to distribute the swag to all those different remote employees, their best customers, sending and engaging leads, humanizing their virtual events. That was the, the idea in 2017. And we spent over two years building out this platform, testing it with a lot of customers, some beta customers, et cetera. Now, when 2020 came, came about, we were getting ready to launch it more widely, but then the pandemic hit and our feature went from a nice to have to frankly a need to have. Everyone's working remotely. So we have this platform, super simple. You go onto our website, you find exactly what you're looking for. You upload your logo, you mock it up. During the checkout process, the typical process is you input your address. But now you can input your address or you can click on a button that says, want to hold your swag and in inventory to easily distribute. You click on that. It tells our system to hold all that swag in our online portal. Now they can create different inventory closets. So they can have a closet for their marketing team and only the marketing team sees it or the sales team, only salespeople see it or the yep. London office and New York office. They can have permission settings, approval flows, all these different kinds of swag management tools to really give companies uh, the ability to easily manage their swag and then giving them the ability to easily send swag. So they could yep. send a thousand t-shirts to one address, a thousand t-shirts to a thousand different addresses. Or for example, they don't have the addresses of the recipients, which often happens, or they don't know the t-shirt size of all their customers. We've created this giveaway platform where they basically can launch a, a landing page, upload their logo, their colors in a matter of seconds. I could send it to you and you could say, hey, I want this product, not that product. I want my t-shirt size to be large. All speaks to our system and we could distribute it. So really wow. giving customers the ability to, to really work in this remote environment. And our feeling is the more the pandemic goes on, hopefully it's going to end very soon. It feels, it feels that way, like things are coming to a conclusion. Our feeling is companies will still be remote at least partially remote, people won't have maybe the biggest office space to have that empty swag closet of the real estate. Much easier to buy it, warehouse it with us, and distribute it without having to worry about it. Wow. I mean, when it comes to pain points, your industry was like, I don't know if you've ever seen Hellraiser, but yep. 
serious amounts of pain involved. Yeah. And I've done it. I've done sales and I've done um, like teaser marketing where you send prospects stuff in the mail. It is painful. Yeah. And I mean, everything from product quality to drop shipping to they didn't print the logo right or the colors off or the flashlight doesn't work. I mean, it is enough to make you crazy. And yes, I mean, it sounds like you guys just smoothed all of those edges out. So, I mean, it just sounds like such a no brainer for anybody who's doing any sort of uh, any sort of product marketing or merchandising or anything like that. I mean, it's, Thank you. it's yeah, pretty I mean, extraordinary. It's, and I would say it is very challenging. There's a lot of moving parts. It's complicated. And I feel like we're in a really good position and we could only get better. We're still building. We're still learning from our customers. We're still adapting and making the experience that much better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an exciting ride, a challenging ride, but we're, we're excited where we are and where we're going. Yeah. So can you talk us through what the first few years of the company was like? Like, what was your hustle like? Were you not leaving the house for long periods of time? Did you not see, you know, your girlfriend for days at a time? What was <laughs> yeah. what was the overall hustle like in terms of sacrificing the amount of time that you spent on the business? I mean, could you walk us through typical days in the life in those first few years? Yeah, I mean, I can put in things perspective. The first year of the business, we had seven different offices, just to put in perspective. And not because Whoa. we were growing our team. It's because we were trying to work and get like two free months off here. And then three months, like we were jumping around whatever deal we could possibly get. Um, I'll tell you about the, the first WeWork. So basically, the, the second order we ever did was for WeWork. And WeWork has this thing called the summer camp. And basically, the summer camp is this big campground that they rent out and they have 5,000 different WeWork members, different companies all go and party for a weekend. And our idea was we need to get this deal. We need to be the t-shirt supplier for the WeWork summer camp because number one, all of our t-shirts say swag.com on the inner label. So it's like mm. viral marketing. If a customer buys a thousand t-shirts and gives it out to a thousand different people, that's a thousand people now knowing about swag.com, yep. feels the quality, sees the print quality and knows instantly there's social proof that WeWork uses swag.com clearly we should use them as well. So it didn't matter to us about making money or margins at all. We, we actually made like, I think 5% margin on order it was crazy and horrible, but it was worth it. And what we did is we got this deal, 5,000 t-shirts. We have no experience at this point. We ended up having to roll all of the t-shirts to make it easy for WeWork to di distribute. Now to me, 5,000 t-shirts didn't seem like crazy at the time. Like, oh, we could just roll it. Me and my partner could roll it. Maybe we'll get roll some it friends. Like actually fold the t-shirts? Yeah, fold the t-shirts, roll it, put the rubber band around it and okay. make it easy so that they can distribute it. It took us three days. It was it was crazy. I had my grandma doing it. I had my mom and dad, <laughs> my neighbor. It was like <laughs> my house was piled t-shirts high, like really no joke. We ended up renting a U-Haul van, driving four hours to the campground. We probably lost thousands of dollars if you factor in all the time we spend, the U-Haul, all these things, but it didn't matter to us. It was just Worth about it. getting our name out there. And that one, one initiative got us about 15 to 20 more customers. And Whoa. that led to more customers. So like every single time we got a new customer, we knew it was going to expand and get more and more and more. But it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of hustle. You know, we moved to Chicago. We were part of the tech stars for three months. We, we did so many things. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. right? We, so the first three years was a blur because really it was just me, my co-founder, Josh, and one or two employees for the first four years. Now we have over 50 employees. So over the last two years, re things really start to pick up and everything that was super painful for us back then, us making deliveries door to door, now things are, are much more streamlined and automated. And we have over 5,000 customers wow. and we're doing swag for, you know, the biggest companies in the world from Facebook and Google and Amazon and Netflix and Spotify, and TikTok, and all of our sales are inbound. We have zero outbound salespeople on our team. Everything wow. is complete inbound, all self-serve. We do orders on our site that range from $2,000 upwards of $100,000 credit card paid up front, 
fully checked out and automated. Wow. And it's only possible because of what we learned in those early years and all the pain in those early years to really build the right product for our customers. That's awesome. So, I mean, having gotten all of those major, major companies, what what has been your approach to marketing? I mean, it sounds like it was very organic. Like, in other words, you go to WeWork to say, who do you work with? Oh, we work with Facebook. And now because of the social proof of that, I mean, what what was the approach to marketing or was there? Or was did you guys just have this no, amazing no. growth and acquisition organically? No, no, it was it was by design, a lot of it. And I think how we look approach marketing is there's no kind of one answer for everything. Different yeah. times in the life cycle of a business, it requires different marketing initiatives. So in the beginning, we didn't have money. So going door to door was the only way we were going to get sales. So that was our traction channel early on. And that was just for like the first six, seven months. Then we realized, okay, well, now we have a base on the customers and we know we want to build and we're building it. Let's spend a little bit on Google ads because that will get the customer who's further along in the journey. They're about to purchase. Let's get them. And it's going to be expensive, yep. but we're going to get more customers and learn more from our customers to build the right thing. So we went all in on Google ads. Then we realized, okay, now we have a, a, the second tier of customers on board. Let's start really focusing on SEO and organic growth because ultimately that's really where we're going to be differentiated. And it allows us to be on the equal playing field. We could write content. We could write really great content for our customers. Our customers are constantly looking for whether they're looking for swag or they're looking for how to you know, launch an awesome holiday party or they're looking for you know, healthy exercises to do in the office. It doesn't really matter what they're looking for, but we have to approach who the customer is. Whether they yep. want swag now or they're going to want swag in seven months, let's get an article that is, is appealing to that buyer. And ultimately, when they come to our site, then we can start retargeting them and we can start getting a little bit less expensive conversion ads. So we've done all those different things and then it became, well, now we have a bigger baseline. Let's start adding partnerships to it. So really trying to pinpoint who's a great partner that sells to the same buyer, but sells a very different product. So we're not competing. And then we yeah. got a lot of partnerships. So it's just, it's just been every single year, every single month often, we kind of start analyzing where can we do better? Where can we expand and really going all in? And, and the truth of the matter is you're right. Over, over 40% of our traffic at this point comes direct, which is unheard of for a startup. The people typing in directly into the browser, swag.com. And I think it's because the name is just so memorable that whether they see an ad or they see a retargeting ad or they read a piece of content, they remember the name and they don't need to even click on the ad. They'll just type it directly into the browser. So, yeah. and, that, and that's by design as well. Very cool. So throughout the course of your entrepreneurial journey, did you have any mentors? And if um, you did, would, how did you get them? Yeah, I've had, I've, I've worked with and I've been around a lot of, successful entrepreneurs. So I've been very fortunate. I started a business with my brother, who's an entrepreneur as well, extremely smart, um, Harvard Business School, built startups, successful startups. And I started a company with Jesse Itzler. And Jesse Itzler is a very well-known oh, wow. entrepreneur, you know, co-founder of Marquee Jet, private jet company, sold to Warren Buffett, started Zico Coconut Water, sold to Coca-Cola, one of the owners of Atlanta Hawks. The one of the businesses before Swag, I started with my brother and Jesse, and basically yep. what we did is we partnered up with different major celebrities and YouTube influencers. What company was this? It was called Tipped Media. Okay. And basically the idea was what if we could get all of these major celebrities to be promoting deals on their social media platforms? And now it seems like obvious. Everybody on yep. Instagram and everyone's making, but back then this is before Instagram existed. This is like early days of Twitter. Snapchat didn't exist yet. We were in kind of like the wild west and we were brokering deals with, with major YouTube celebrities um, with like State Farm, Colgate, Verizon, et cetera. And that company ultimately sold to a publicly traded company. And this was when I was 25 years old. So I was around Jesse, working out of Jesse's office. Literally my office is right next to Jesse's for three years. 
and I saw, you know, just Amazing. how he, he conducted himself as a person, as a business person. So I was very fortunate to be around that. Um, yeah, my that father is an entrepreneur. He's oh, your dad is? And my dad's an entrepreneur. So I've just been grow around it and seeing what it takes and the challenges and the, the success and the, the failure and all, all of the above and trying to understand what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And oftentimes it's a life calling. You know, it's like, it's, you have to really want it because it's not an easy job whatsoever. Yeah. It's probably the hardest job. You have to be so self-motivated, so okay with rejection and just be open to failure and learning from your failure. So mm -hmm. were there any major lessons that you learned from Jesse Itzler? I'm sure, I mean, tons. He's, he's a great guy. He's, <laughs> I know he's, it's a hard, it's, I know it's probably yeah, no, he's, the, he's the an amazing question. person. He's amazing at building relationships with people. People love yeah. him. I mean, people would do anything for him, which I think is an unbelievable skill uh, mm. to have. Um, he's insanely creative. He really thinks differently than like in meetings. It was just like the things he was coming up with were so unique and different. Um, but just, he's a great person. I think what I've realized just being around him that you could be insanely and wildly successful but also be an extremely humble, down-to-earth, nice person. I think that's the yeah. most important thing. Yeah, that's a real balance, you know. Yeah. It's a real, real balance. So COVID was a really difficult time for a lot of companies, but you guys had a, a, a pretty substantial amount of growth during this time mm -hmm. period. Could you talk about how you guys not only weathered the storm, but like plowed through it and actually came out on top? Yeah, so 2020 was a crazy year for many different reasons for everybody. First of all, I yeah. was my wife was pregnant. I had my first child in July of in the middle of COVID, so it was crazy for that way. But for the business, just think about perspective. We were doing 850,000 in February, our best month ever, one of our best months ever. We were riding high. We were planning on doing 14 million last year, doubling the previous year that did about 7 million. March comes, pandemic hits, our sales go from 850 the previous month to 350,000, really fell off a cliff. April, 350. We've just been hiring up, staffing up because we're projecting big year ahead, huge year. And now the, you know, the world falls apart. I moved from New York into my parents' home with my wife, pregnant wife, to Englewood because we didn't know, you know New York City was the epicenter of it all. Yep. We were very nervous how it could affect pregnancy. All my team is working remote. We move out of the office and we have to, in real time, figure out how we're going to save the business. Now, the swag industry, it makes sense. And on the surface, it makes sense that it should be you know, really getting hit. Number one, there's no trade shows or marketing events, which is a big part of our business. Yep. So there's no events, done. No one's in the office. So who's buying swag for the office if no one's actually in the office? Not happening. Um, HR managers who buy swag for onboarding new hires, no one's hiring. So that business is done. All of the different key businesses that we were doing pre-pandemic just vanished, wiped away. But at the same time, we were very optimistic in the fact that we knew how lean we were and how innovative we thought, how differently we thought that we could maybe get some market share when everyone else is doing retreating and everyone else is kind of surviving, cutting their balance sheet and cutting costs. What if we can take the opposite approach and really try to innovate and push forward and do stuff that other people are not doing? Because we knew that if everyone's so remote, everyone's gonna be so much more disconnected. They're not gonna be able to do those in-person meetings. Like people are just gonna feel alone and scared. So what can we do to make allow companies to feel more connected, more cohesive? And sending swag remotely was the real thing. So we went all in on the messaging of swag distribution, engaging with your remote employees, converting prospects and leads. You're not going to a trade show this year, you still have to make sales. So how are you gonna make sales? Sending swag in the mail, like all the use cases that just went away, there was an alternative if we positioned it right. So really positioning mm -hmm. the brand in such a way of 
innovative, creative, and problem solving for these customers. And it really paid off. Our sales went from 350, 350 to 450 to 550 to 1.4 million a month to 3.2 million a month. So it really kind of scaled up and we started to realize we have something here that truthfully we're going to, even when the pandemic ends and we hope it does, and we hope you know things go back to normal, I think there's been a material shift where companies, some companies might go back to the office, but I think that's going to be few and far in between. I think most companies will do like a partial in the office and a partial out of the office, or there's going to be things that are going to change. And I think our business could adapt really well, whether companies are trying to buy for one office or they're trying to buy for a thousand different offices or they're trying to buy mm-hmm. for remote employees, or maybe they're not having trade shows, they're having virtual trade shows, but they want to send swag to all of the recipients. So I think it's here to stay. And what we were predicting in 2017, and maybe we thought it would take us five to 10 years to get where we are right now, I think just really sped up. Yeah, that's amazing. Really, congratulations to you guys. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary you. what you've done in the past year. Thank you. So throughout the course of your entrepreneurial journey, were there any books or resources that were particularly helpful that shaped your worldview or that were good for strategic reasons? Any books come to mind that you can partially attribute your success to? Um, that's a good question. I Well, I'm, I don't go back to Jesse. So Jesse so at the time when I was working with him was either writing a book or just came out with a book um, called Living with the Seal. And yes, with Goggins. With Goggins. And I met Goggins before. And Goggins was in oh, the yeah? office before. And just being around, oh, I, was, wow. I, was, I was really around it. And reading the book and seeing Jesse and seeing Goggins and seeing the whole thing, it just, it was oh, actually, it was very inspiring. It was basically just like, you can't settle for anything. And I think as an entrepreneur, you're always in that mindset of wanting to push yourself and really test your limits. And you can't get complacent. And I think yeah. Jesse was the epitome of that. Goggins is clearly the epitome of that. And I think just Goggins being around people- Messiah. Yeah. And, and there's just something, there's something about being around people like that, who just really push the limits and are not just happy with one success, you know, who just, they move on to the next thing. I think that's really an exciting thing. And I think that just makes life more interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool that you had, uh, you had Jesse and you had Goggins around just basically as part of your life. I mean, that's, uh, you can't be around those guys and not be tremendously inspired. hundred percent. That's, awesome. that's super duper cool. So what is the immediate future hold for swag.com? Yeah, so swag, we're really trying to keep refining the distribution platform. We have a lot of big features for the distribution platform to make it a lot easier for customers to do exactly what they want. And these are features that customers have told us. For example, right now, every time a customer makes a distribution, they have to pay a credit card or they could save a credit card on file and they could use a credit card for distributions. But a lot of our companies don't have company credit cards on file. So we're launching a credits feature where they could buy, let's say, $20,000 worth of credits. And every time they make a distribution, it will deduct from the already prepaid credits that they did through ACH or et cetera. So small things like that to make the experience better. But the future is really swag automation. So we made the experience of buying swag streamlined. Now we're making the experience of distributing swag very easy to manage. But what if you could kind of set it and forget it and companies can say, you know, I haven't heard from a customer in three months. Automatically, it triggers a notification to our system to send the swag box. Or it's somebody's one-year anniversary. Automatically send them a swag box. Their five-year anniversary, their birthday. Whatever so reason cool. that you would want to send swag, you could set it, connects to our system, and it just automatically distributes it. Mm-hmm. Somebody is engaging in like a sales lead. They press a button in Salesforce. It speaks to our system and sends somebody swag. So it's now going to be about, and this is Q3 and Q4 of this year, really focusing on taking what we built and the entire experience of buying and distributing and now automating distribution. Very cool. What is the most obscure piece of swag that you guys offer? 
I, we have something on our site that I, I thought was a joke when our product team decided to put it on the site. And we've actually had several sales from it. So I'm, I'm completely shocked by it. Okay. But we've sold a cast iron skillet that has the company's logo on the bottom of it. These things are heavy. Yeah, I mean, they're they're heavy useful duty. though. And they don't they're have They're insanely any... useful. And my team was selling me and they were right. And I was wrong. Basically, everyone's working from home. Everyone wants to do work from home branded gifts that makes the experience of living at home a lot easier. So we launched a new part of our site. It's called Swag Work From Home, where we sell like Brooklyn and robes and slippers and wow. like comfy socks and all these kind of things that you would want to do at home, like workout equipment at home and pots and pans. And it's a whole different thing, but it's actually one of our most popular sections on our site. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Those cast iron skillets. I just used one last night on a steak. They're amazing. Yep. Yeah. That's, yep. Yeah. And they, they're not coated with, uh, you know, BPA yep. and uh, horrible chemicals, but yeah, that's never would have thought to brand a cast iron skillet, nope. but that is such a useful thing. But I mean, it goes back to your guys' whole reason for being, which is making useful swag that people exactly not right. throw away. Super duper cool. Well, Jeremy, this is a whole bunch of fun. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Any parting wisdom for those aspiring entrepreneurs and founders out there? Yeah, I think the main thing that I've learned, and I think it's hard to kind of digest, but if you do, you, you kind of unlock some sort of superpower. Don't be afraid of failure. Don't be, Most entrepreneurs that I know personally, friends of mine, are terrified to launch anything. They, don't, they think they have to have all the answers before they start. And when you launch a business, you realize you don't know anything. Most people don't know anything. You could have a vision. You can have an idea. But just start, learn from your customers, and keep pivoting and learning, and you'll ultimately get where you want to be. But being okay with the failure, being okay with the rejection, and knowing ultimately it's going to work out if you keep pushing forward, I think is what all entrepreneurs need. It's all about forward momentum. Yep. Wise words. Thank you again. Thank you so much. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Jeremy Parker. Number one, observe the Uber model of curation, organization, and obliterating friction. The foundation of Swag.com was born out of the constant frustration most people have when ordering branded items for their companies or their clients. Something as simple as branded t-shirts or water bottles can be a nightmarish process consisting of hours of research, waiting around for samples to arrive, comparing price quotes, etc. And even then, quality is never guaranteed. Instead of starting their own custom branding company from scratch, Swag.com yielded the Uber model of brokering, whereby they found and vetted a series of high-quality and trusted custom merchandise providers and created a network of them that they would dispatch orders to through their e-commerce platform. This allowed them to move fast and operate on a large scale, all with a very lean company structure. Number two, pound the pavement. When he was just starting out with Swag.com, Jeremy landed an enormous client right out of the gate, Facebook. How did he get Facebook? It wasn't from months of cold calling and emailing and asking for a meeting. No, he showed up at their office. By inserting his own foot in the door, decision makers met with him and ultimately signed on to be his client. This caused a social proof domino effect because once he announced that he had a titan like Facebook as a client, WeWork and Netflix jumped on board next and the snowball for swag.com was very much set in motion. Clearly showing up at someone's office without an appointment doesn't always work and you're likely to be turned away, but if you do it enough times, who knows? You may be surprised at who will take an impromptu meeting with you and what that can lead to. Number three, surround yourself with greatness. 
In his early years, Jeremy worked very closely with Jesse Itzler, serial entrepreneur, social media personality, self-development guru, and husband to Spanx founder Sarah Blakely. Jeremy's time with Jesse was incredibly formidable to his work ethic, entrepreneurial ability, intelligence, and overall hustle. If that wasn't enough, Jeremy got to spend a great deal amount of time with David Goggins, ex-Navy SEAL, motivational speaker, and downright badass in every sense of the word. The combination of these two mentors imbued Jeremy with an innate entrepreneurial intelligence and a rock-solid discipline that he carried into Swag.com to the tune of great success. The saying goes that you become the sum total of the five people you spend the most amount of time with, so choose wisely. If you're around great, prosperous, and inspirational people, you're more than likely going to turn out the same way. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening to Damn Good Brands. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And if you want to learn more about us, visit us at lippytaylor.com. Thanks again for listening. 